Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by J.P. Morgan Chase. Today's Wednesday, March 31st. Corporate pressure on Georgia over voting rights is up, U.S. COVID deaths are down, and we're focused on Joe Biden's new infrastructure and tax plan. President Biden this afternoon spoke at a carpenter's training facility in Pittsburgh, laying out his proposal for the sort of massive transportation infrastructure plan that his predecessor, President Trump, talked a lot about but never got passed. Not just bridges and roads and tunnels, but also things like modernizing public transit, expanding broadband access, electrifying school buses, and upgrading VA hospital buildings. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment. The expected price tag is $2 trillion over eight years, with the White House arguing it can offset those costs by making changes to the corporate tax code. Most notable would be an increase in the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%, plus some changes to taxes on U.S. companies operating overseas and an end to certain fossil fuel subsidies. But wait, there's more. This is only expected to be the first of two infrastructure bills, the second of which would be more focused on areas like health and education. Details remain very fuzzy, except that Biden would plan to pay for that one by increasing taxes on certain individuals, like high earners. The bottom line, this is New Deal-style stuff and means the idea of, quote, infrastructure weak is now quaint. America could instead be heading into infrastructure year. In 15 seconds, we will dig into the plan and the politics with White House economic advisor Jared Bernstein. But first, this. We're joined now by White House economic advisor Jared Bernstein. So, Jared, when I see the plan today, when I listen to President Biden talk about it, I, I am struck by two things. I hear a lot of kind of call it old school infrastructure, you know, bridges, tunnels, the same sort of things we would have heard about 20, 30 years ago. But there's clearly a more modern piece, which is kind of the climate change piece, electrification, et cetera. Should we be viewing this more as kind of an old school transportation infrastructure package or more of a climate change deal with it, compete with China sort of package? It's not either or, it's both and. Uh, traditional infrastructure is as important as ever and something that the president has long been aware of as needing deep investment. I mean, people drive over bridges every day and we know that they're in dire need of repair in many cases. But we also have to build the foundation for the clean energy economy of the future. At some level, the market economy is moving there on its own, but not fast enough to get there with the kind of alacrity that we need. So the plan, the American Jobs Plan, has deep incentives for clean energy investment in electric vehicles, in cleaner infrastructure, cleaner water, in air quality, and more. So I would say both and. You know, last time uh, Joe Biden was in the executive branch at the beginning of it, there was another kind of major infrastructure plan coming out of another recession, which was coming out of the, the 08, 09 recession. The administration got hammered a bit for not having, quote unquote, shovel ready projects or enough of them coming out of that. This is obviously a different sort of bill, different era. But what lessons were learned from that package that got applied this time around? I think one of the most important lessons that the vice president uh, at the time took away from that, uh, you know, he was the 
implementer in chief, I, Sheriff Joe, if you recall, was the title. And the idea there was that it's not enough to sign a bill and have a signing ceremony and wash your hands and move on to the next thing. You have to pay very close attention to implementation. So there are dozens of important projects in there in this American Jobs Plan. We've talked about some of them in clean energy and water, getting uh, replacing 100% of lead pipes, getting broadband to rural communities, investing in the care economy. Every one of those has to have the kind of careful oversight. So we make sure the taxpayer dollars are being spent in precisely the way that was intended. At the same time, we have to make sure that we're implementing and enforcing uh, some of the tax changes on the other side of the ledger. So it's really a matter of not just signing the bill and saying you're done with it, but making sure it's efficiently implemented. You know, Jared, a lot of people viewed the Biden candidacy or the campaign as kind of pledging a return to normalcy. And and part of that was obviously based on COVID and the pandemic, but it was also based on the past four years. This plan, though, and the one that comes after is talking about kind of a massive transformation uh, to America. You know, people are referring to it or, or analogizing to the New Deal. How do you square a return to normalcy with massive transformation? Yeah, I think that the return to normalcy theme may have been, you know, somewhat overplayed in very much the sense you just said. I mean, uh, you know, I've been working with President Biden for a long time, but certainly during the campaign and the transition, he was always clear that simply getting to the other side of the crisis set an unacceptably low bar. And so in terms of, you know, normalcy, probably the right way to interpret that is a functional, competent, amply funded, efficient government. So instead of a government sector that sort of rules by tweets going from crisis to crisis, you know, calling something an infrastructure week that really has no policy behind it, there's a kind of normal rule of order where you actually try to figure out what are the nation's biggest problems and what are the policies that will solve them. And I think when you look at the American Jobs Plan, or for that matter, the Rescue Plan, you see a plan that's intended to get us to the other side of the crisis. That's the Rescue Plan, finally put the virus behind us. And then the Jobs Plan, and then what's coming later, the Families Plan, are efforts to deal with structural inequities that are embedded in our economy, underinvestment in clean energy, eroding infrastructure, too little R&D, not enough attention to our manufacturing sector, standing up an affordable care agenda, making sure that uh, people can afford housing in, 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 in neighborhoods that provide them with opportunity, neighborhoods that have often been excluded, uh, black and brown people. So all of those structural deficits instead of the uh, nation's opportunity agenda must be dealt with. And and that's not, as you say, that's not a return to normal, but it's it's more of a return to a government that takes its job seriously. Jared, you mentioned this families plan, which is the thing that's going to come out in a couple of weeks, which is kind of a different sort of infrastructure. The plan announced today in, it arguably gets paid for by changes to the corporate tax rate. The families plan would deal with uh, change to individual income tax. Presidents usually get one shot or one swing at major tax reform. Why is the Biden White House convinced it's going to get two? I think because the tax system is so deeply in need of reform. And the president's view of rewarding work, not wealth, is encompassing enough that it fits into both of these packages. There are deep inequities that were exacerbated by the Trump tax cut, 
both on the corporate side and the personal side. And, you know, legislatively, it made sense for us to split them up. But at the end of the day, it's really the same thing. It's really about making sure that nobody under $400,000 sees their tax go up, but those who have benefited the most because of the depth of their wealth portfolios, because of the extensive and in some cases excessive profitability that's occurred in recent decades, while their tax bill has gone down and down and down, that must be corrected. And that calls for action on both the corporate and the personal side of the code. Mitch McConnell has already come out and uh, expressed some pretty deep skepticism about his support for this bill. What's the White House's plan, or is there a plan, to, to reach out to congressional Republicans? And is President Biden going to invite McConnell to the White House to sit down and have a conversation? I certainly can't speak of any specific invitations. I don't know about them, but there's no question that the uh, President Biden will will reach out uh, to the other side. I mean, that that is his mode of operating. He believes that these not only are these problems as deep as we've been discussing and and truly existential when it comes to clean energy, when it comes to racial equity, when it comes to strengthening our supply chain so that the next time we hit a a national crisis, we're far more ready for it. And, you know, he believes that um, elected officials, whether you have a D or an R next to your name, ought to be here to solve those problems. Now, I understand that um, it's typical for politicians to kind of take that partisan crouch right out of the gate, but let's see how far the president can get when he starts talking to uh, some of his colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Well, give me one reason for optimism, given what we just saw in terms of the partisan nature, particularly in the Senate, of the COVID stimulus plan. Well, that's easy. Uh, look at the rescue plan. The rescue plan passed. But with no Senate Republicans. Correct. The president reached out to the other side and tried to get support. I guess the way to look at this is that he will always try to work in a bipartisan manner and get support from people who are serious about helping this country get on the track that he believes it needs to get on. But if they say no and they don't have an alternative suggestion, because that's another part of the puzzle. If you don't like the way we're paying for this, bring forth your pay for us. But if your attitude is, no, we're just not going to do anything on infrastructure or on the uh, inequities in the tax code, President Biden's not just going to call it uh, the end of the day and say, that's it. He's going to have to push for these policies as, as hard as he can and try to convince Republicans to, to climb on board. Are there places in this plan that you, and I'm not asking you to kind of show all your cards, do you see room for compromise on the White House's side? I think that this is, so that, this is a, um, you know, the, the fact sheet that goes along with this plan is 25 pages. <laughs> There's a lot in here. Two point trillion in, in these uh, spending plans that we've mentioned, uh, hundreds of billions in, in tax credits to help support clean energy, and of course the pay force that we've been talking about on the revenue side. So there are a lot of moving parts here, and it seems to me we ought to be able to to find some areas to to compromise on. Certainly in areas of infrastructure, you know, Republicans have been talking about doing something on on the fact that we've neglected so many of our traditional infrastructure projects, even if you don't want to get into clean energy, which, you know, for the president is is an absolute must, then there's another side of the deal that we can talk about. So I'm hoping Republicans can come to the table and help us get an infrastructure plan in place as soon as possible. Last thing is a quick yes, no. The proposed change to the marginal corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent, if that passed, say, over the summer and President Biden was to sign it, would that be effective for 2021 tax year or would that start in 2022? Uh, My understanding is that would start in 22. Jared Bernstein, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Pfizer 
which announced that its COVID-19 vaccine was shown to be 100% effective in a clinical trial of 2,200 kids between the ages of 12 and 15. So far, all of the vaccines approved for emergency use in the U.S. have been for ages 16 plus. So this development could significantly expand the eligible population and provide more certainty for middle school and high school administrators who are seeking to resume normal operations next fall. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla says the company and its German partner, BioNTech, plan to submit this new clinical data to the FDA in the coming weeks. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great National Manatee Appreciation Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.